0: I'm wearing my wife's favorite shirt in my closet. I only wear this on special occasions like this or at rodeos. And uh, so, but uh, so, so, so glad all of you are here today. It's great. I love preaching in front of a packed house. It's so much fun. And so thank you for being here today. And... uh, for bringing some folks with you if you did. I want to do something um, that I did in the first service uh, just because I, I think it's cool. How many of you were here? Now, let me say this. Today's September 13th. We're celebrating 18 years, but the official anniversary of this church is September 7th. Um, that was the day we actually launched the church. And, uh, so, but how many of you were here on that very first day when we launched the church in 18, 18 years ago? Would you stand up so that I can see you all right, no one. Okay, these folks, yeah, the Marble Stones, the Williams. These, Yes, thank you all so much for your faithfulness. Love it. Absolutely love it. Look what God's done over the last 18 years. Absolutely unbelievable. So grateful. Um, I want to take some time in this message this morning. It's going to be a little different than what we normally do. Uh, I want to look back and tell some stories um, of, about what God has done over the last 18 years and then uh, at the very end, I want to take a moment and really cast some vision as to what I believe God wants us to do over the next uh, many years to come. Um, and so I really, I'm really excited about uh, what God has laid on my heart to share with you uh, this morning. In 2003, uh, the elders of Westridge gave me my very first sabbatical. The church wasn't quite six years old. We had grown significantly. I was exhausted, and so uh, they gave me a month off. Off, basically just to rest. And, but during this break, I, w- I was praying for several things. And uh, I was specifically asking God to give me clarity concerning the future of our church. We had some very, very big decisions in front of us. Uh, as you know, when we started Westridge in 1997, we started with this goal just to move here to this area and to reach as many people as possible in northwest Atlanta with the gospel. And I had this dream of having a huge church on a huge campus, uh, reaching thousands of people, offering a ton of programs, and that's what I knew to do when we moved here. And that was the path we were moving down. Uh, And then in 2003 was actually the first year that we actually averaged over 2,000 people as a church on any given Sunday. We had officially become what they call in the church world a megachurch. And I remember when that happened, I took our staff uh, to the Longhorns in Hiram, we were celebrating uh, crossing over the 2,000 mark, and uh, while I was incredibly thankful for all that God had done, I remember sitting in Longhorns feeling like something wasn't quite right. We had worked so hard to get to this place, and yet I felt just a bit empty. And here's here's the thought that I was wrestling with. The last thing Atlanta needs is another big box church. Another church uh, that was all about um, catching and keeping people. And at that moment, I began to feel that God was calling us to something different, actually something greater. And honestly, I had no idea what that meant at the time. Well, the third third week of my sabbatical, I I went by myself to a conference in Southern California. Uh, The conference was for worship leaders, and quite honestly, I was dying in the midst of this conference, 3,000 worship leaders uh, wearing skinny jeans, funky boots, hipster glasses, and then me, shorts, flip-flops, and, 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 uh, and t-shirt. But it was the only conference that was going on at the time, and so I signed up to go to it. And the last day of the conference, I woke up wrestling with this thought. Do I go to the last couple sessions of this conference, or do I go to the beach? Honestly, that was what I was wrestling with. And uh, I looked at the agenda of the conference and noticed that, that Max Lucado was speaking that last day, and so I decided to drive over to the church and and to listen to Max Lucado speak. Well, Max Lucado got up and shared his story that I want to share with you, and it really, really impacted my life in a tremendous way. He was talking about uh, this guy that he had known for many, many years. It was a spiritual mentor of his who was in his 80s, who was in the hospital uh, nearing the the last days of his life. So Max went to visit him, and he sat down next to his hospital uh, bed, and he said, Um, I wanna ask you a question. Out of all of these years of walking with Christ so intimately, what is the greatest thing that you've ever learned? And this guy, without hesitation, looked to Max Lucado and he said, Max, here's the greatest thing I've ever learned. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's all about God's glory. And then Max Lucado said something that literally changed the course of the direction I was going in at the moment. He said, God does not exist to make much of us Instead, we exist to make much of him. Now, I want to tell you, after this talk was over, I I sat in my chair in the Southern California Worship Auditorium just feeling like God had just shot an arrow through my chest. So I drove to Laguna Beach, um, went, and I grabbed a Starbucks because you can't meet with God without some kind of coffee or Starbucks. And so with Max Lucado's sermon fresh in my mind, I asked God a very simple question. What's the most important thing to you? God, what do you want me to learn from this? And here's what I took away from that moment. As God was speaking to my heart with Bible open, journal open, and listened, having that sermon fresh in my mind, what God communicated to me, what was most important to him was his glory, my intimacy with him, and lost people. The expansion of his kingdom. And so I rewrote, opened my journal, and rewrote the purpose statement of my life. And here's what it said. The purpose of my life is to pursue such deep intimacy with Christ that the glory of God is revealed in every area of my life. And then I wrote this. God, I'm giving you a blank check with my life and my ministry and my future, and I'm signing my name to it. You fill in the check. And guess what? God took me up on it. I came home and I shared with our church what I just told you, and through a series of events, And series of friendships that that God led me to. God led us as a church, led me as a pastor into four ventures that changed my life and changed our church. One was simply church multiplication. We decided at that moment that we would become a multiplying church. We would train up and send out church planters. And we would encourage the people of Westridge Church to leave with them to plant churches all over the Atlanta area, the U.S. and around the world. And I had this crazy dream of seeing a thousand churches planted out of Westridge Church in my lifetime. We would also uh, involve ourselves in community transformation. We, would, we decided that we would be a church that would focus on transforming our community by purposely ministering to people outside the walls of this church. I wanted to be a church that the community turned to when, it, when, it, when we faced a crisis or needed help. Um, we decided that we would tackle global missions in a completely different way. We were going to refocus our efforts. Rather than sending money all over the globe, which is what we were kind of doing at that time, we would invest our efforts into a few countries and stay there for years and years and change that country for the sake of Jesus Christ. And then I also had on my heart that we would involve ourselves very deeply in a city in the Northeast and then make a greater impact in downtown Atlanta. Um, at the time, I was just wrestling, asking God, say, God, put a nor- city in the Northeast, which is so post Christian. Um, I wanted just to see God change that city with, with the gospel. And I wanted to send our own people out to minister to whatever city God would lead us to. And I wanted to, at the same time, to have a greater presence in downtown Atlanta, which he's allowed us to do. But this whole new direction that God had given me happened while we were still meeting in a school. We were meeting across the street at East Paulding High School. We had just purchased property. We had dedicated the land. But we, haven't even, we hadn't even moved a single piece of dirt yet. And so when I presented this direction to the church, that we were going to be a church that planted other churches, I remember having people come up to me and going, why would we ever do that? We need money right here. A church, planting church, church that was planting other churches was really almost a foreign concept in our world at the time. And several people asked me, why would we ever ask people to leave here and be part of a church somewhere else, especially locally? We had just started a building campaign uh, called Time to Build, and we needed everyone that we could uh, to jump in with us and and to give financially to our building campaign, and here I was at the the time talking about sending people out to other churches, and for a lot of people it was just a lot of crazy talk that I was engaging in, but it took uncommon faith for the people of this church to follow me down this new endeavor because we had never seen a church express this way before. I knew I had never seen it before. It was kind of out-of-the-box thinking. Outside of a biblical explanation, it didn't make any sense. But those of you that were here during that time, you took a leap of faith with me and you followed me and God literally showed up in a huge way. God started doing a greater work than anything that we could ever have envisioned before we moved here in 1997. We started down a journey of, of being a sending church instead of being a church that focused all of its efforts on gathering people simply just to keep them. We started minister, uh, partnering with, uh, with God on building his kingdom, and, and God showed up and did great, to do greater things than we could ever have imagined uh, with our own minds. And we embraced this not-about-me attitude, and God stepped in and did the amazing. My friend and author, J.D. Greer, he says, God builds his kingdom as we let go, not as we hold on to it. Jesus once promised his disciples that God would use them to do greater things than what he had done while he was here on earth. He said in John chapter 14, verse 12, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Now, you look at that and you go, how in the world could we ever do greater works than Jesus? How could we ever do greater miracles, preach greater sermons, or pray greater prayers? Well, here's what this means. Greater doesn't mean greater in the quality of the work we do. It means that the reach and the extent of the works of Jesus Christ would be greater when Jesus' Holy Spirit rested on every believer than when that power was concentrated on one person. Churches that truly get this don't just invest all of their energy into gathering people on Sunday morning, but they invest heavily into empowering people and then sending them out to change the world around them. It's what the first church in Acts 2 understood so clearly. A church empowered by the Holy Spirit was an unstoppable kingdom force. That's what we began to embrace in the early days of this church. Even though we built a fairly large building in 2004 and 2005, the heart of this church since 2003 has been more about sending capacity than seating capacity. And as, I, as a result, I believe God has allowed us to see greater things than we could have ever imagined before this church ever started in 1997. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In 2006, I was sitting with our elders at a leadership conference at Willow Creek Church in Chicago. And the pastor of the church, uh, Bill Hybels, was interviewing a guy you may have heard of, a guy named Bono, a little group called U2. And uh, he was sharing about his work in Africa. And about how that there were thousands of people dying every day because of, of malaria and AIDS and, and water-related illnesses. And, and as I watched Bono talk and I listened to his words, I just felt God prompting me that our church needed to do something about this. But I didn't even know anyone in Africa. I didn't know a missionary in Africa. I didn't know an organization that was working in Africa. And so I asked our elders if they would begin to pray for God to open up a country in Africa where we could make a huge dent in helping tackle some of these issues while bringing the gospel at the very same time. I wanted to make a long-term commitment to change a country. I wanted to be involved in kingdom stuff in some, some little country in Africa. Well, once again, God was faithful. And through a course of events that were nothing short of miraculous, we were introduced to a little landlocked country in northwest Africa that I had never even heard of called Burkina Faso. As I've shared with you before, Burkina is, um, is the second or third poorest country in the world. It has one of the highest illiteracy rates in the world. Three out of five children die there before the age of 10. But in 2008, um, Paul Richardson and a, and a group of guys... Flew to Burkina and they met with church leaders and government officials and they they just basically started off with this question: How can we serve you? And they invited us to come in with open arms. And now working through the Christian Missionary Alliance, we started a nonprofit called Engage Burkina. And in just six years, we have now dug four hundred and fifty-one wells providing clean water for over two hundred and fifty thousand people in that country. We have We planted 41 churches amongst a people group called the Pugli. And as a result of these churches, so many of these Pugli people have come to Christ that they have now taken that people group off the unreached people list. We're getting ready to engage a brand new people group right now. We built several buildings for a Christian high school that, that teaches the gospel to primarily Muslim students, many of them coming from, from wealthier uh, Muslim families. We just broke ground on our second high school this past summer, and we have, we've built a restaurant last year through our What If Experiment initiative that serves primarily people with extreme physical handic- handicaps. You are individually as a church sponsoring over 800 children in Burkina through Compassion International. God has blessed our work in Burkina to such a degree that the BBC, the Brit- British Broadcasting Company, has done a documentary on our work. That documentary a couple years ago caught the eye of the University of Notre Dame, who is now investing in in what we're doing for the purpose of studying the effects of what happens when clean water is brought to these villages. And here's my thought if the Catholics want to give us money to spread the gospel, we will take it, and I will say, Go Irish. All right? But I, I go back to that moment sitting on that beach bench in Southern California in 2003. Where God God just said, if you will trust me by faith and pursue my glory and my kingdom, I will let you see things that only I can do. I will let you see greater things. And because of our focus on his glory and seeing his kingdom expanded, God has been faithful. He has continued to let us see and celebrate greater things than I could have ever dreamed of. In 2007, I had a couple pastors from our community that I didn't know come into my office and they asked me if I would pull the pastors of our community together to, to work together. And I really didn't want to do this. I actually told them I didn't, wouldn't do it. Um, but I told them that I would pray about it. And uh, that led to a prayer meeting. And out of that meeting, four churches in our community gathered in this auditorium. And we just began to pray for our community. And out of that, we decided to cancel church one weekend in the summer and work together in the community. And during that first summer, four other churches joined us. And then the next summer, we had over 30 churches working together. And then the next summer, we had 84 churches working together and just to pray for and love on our community. We formed out of that a nonprofit called Engage Atlanta. And the next thing you know, we have 110 churches working together to engage Atlanta with the love of Jesus Christ through an event we started called Community Makeover. And as a result of that, our county came to us and said, would, would you guys take over disaster relief in the county? We're like, We don't know anything about disaster relief. They didn't teach us that in college or seminary. And then they said, Would you take over the entire database for serving less fortunate families at Christmas time? And so now every Christmas we have a weekend here where we provide Christmas gifts, food, clothing, and the love of Jesus to over 13,000 individuals in our community. And I can't tell you how many of these individuals we've had a chance to minister to later and to lead to Christ as a result of this event called Hope for Christmas. When flooding hit our area in 2009, we were already prepared to meet the need because there were over 100 churches working together to help those that were impacted by the flood. Samaritan's Purse actually came and set up shop in our little gravel parking lot over here for over six months to just provide relief to all of these people who had lost their homes. In January 2009, I was meeting in Chicago with 12 other pastors of large churches in the United States. One of the guys leading the conversation in the room was a guy by the name of Alan Hirsch. Alan's a missiologist and an author from South Africa. He's done extensive research on religion in America. From his research, Alan says that 60% of America's current population will never walk into a megachurch, just not interested in it. He said that that 60% number is growing. That means that only 40% will ever be willing to darken the doors of a church like Westridge. Now, I know for some of you that may seem hard to believe. However, recently, author uh, James Emery White, in his book The Rising of the Nuns, N-O-N-E-S, states that the population of our country that now checked the box nun for religious affiliation is growing at an astounding rate. And from Hearst's research, this population is growing exponentially in the major population centers of our country, primarily our major cities. And so as a result of this, God led me back at this time, to ramp up our church planting efforts, especially our focus on planting in major cities in our country. Well, since 1999, and really since we got serious about it in 2004, we have now helped to plant over 275 churches in North America and around the world. We've invested several million dollars in church planting. Westridge has now purposely sent out over 800 people out of this church to be part of these church plants. In 2010, um, out of obedience, and I say out of obedience because I didn't want to do this, I started a church planning network called Launch and uh, now called Multiply. And in the past four years, my my friend Mac Lake and I and several other people developed a church planning system that is now being used by 27 different organizations and denominations, including uh, the second largest denomination in the world, uh, the North American Mission Board, which is the North American church planning arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, And because God is faithful, and he's an amazing God who keeps his promises, the plan is that in the next 10 years, we will have helped to plant over 10,000 churches, primarily in the major cities of North America. Listen, when I prayed for 1,000 churches in my lifetime, I had no idea that God would take that goal, blow it up, and do greater things than I could have ever dreamed of in my own. Also, as a result of my journey of trying to figure out how to reach the 60% that will never darken the door of this church, I started challenging you a few years ago to be on mission, to minister to people where they work, live, and play. We created this acronym called BLESS to give you a personal plan to reach your neighbors and coworkers. BLESS is just very simply to begin with prayer, to listen to people as you talk to them. Truly listen. We're, we're, we're not good listeners. Listen to them. Get to the place where we actually, you can actually break down some walls and have a meal with them, eat with them, to the place where you begin to serve them, which opens up the door to share your story, the story of how Jesus Christ changed your life, to share your story with them, to share the gospel. And I've been challenging every small group in this church to be on mission together as a group. Now to be honest with you, uh, that endeavor's been a little bit slow going, but I'm gonna keep asking you to get out of your comfort zones and to turn yourself outward, to reach those outside your circle, outside the walls of this church, the 60%, to reach them with the gospel. Listen, some of you are concerned Many of you are concerned about the direction that our nation is heading in. I am too. I mean, there's a serious void in our country right now. God is is being pushed out of every arena. The world is getting darker every day. And if we're gonna penetrate the darkness in our communities and see our nation and our world reach for Christ, we have to embrace Jesus' strategy for reaching lost people. You say, what does that look like? Well, here's where it begins. It begins when every one of us choose to die to ourselves. We have to die to comfort, we have to die to complacency, we have to die to any, any ambition that seeks glory for ourselves and does not expand the kingdom of God. Jesus did not come to be served but to serve. He took the form of a humble man and he asked us to follow him. He did not come for comfort, he came to die. And in John chapter 12, verse 24, here's how he described it. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. J.D. Greer says this, living comes by dying, gaining comes by losing. His call, Jesus' call was not to come and grow, but to come and die. He calls us first not to a platform, but to an altar. God calls us to put our lives up on an altar, to die to self. And this is so, so difficult. Why? Because, but without it, the Holy Spirit doesn't have room to work in our lives. Before God ever called me to plant Westridge Church, in 1996, January 1996, I was laying nose down, face down, on the cement floor of the Georgia Dome at a Promise Keepers Pastors Conference. I was crying my eyes out Dying to myself, why? I was prideful, I was stubborn, I I was arrogant, and I had to die to myself before God could use me in any way to do a greater work. Before he would ever allow me to see greater things. And while I was down there, God put Joshua 3, five on my heart, consecrate yourselves, Brian, and I will do amazing things in your life. In 2003, as I sat on that park bench in Laguna Beach, California, I actually visited that bench this past summer, Um, You can see this picture right here. Had to get a latte. Once again, as I remember sitting on that bench in 2003, God was once again calling me to die to myself. Die to myself. Die to my ambition to pastor a huge church. Die to any hidden ambition I had to make a name for myself. And as I was sitting on that bench, Isaiah 42.8 went through my mind. I am the Lord. That is my name, God says. I will not give my glory to another. Here's a fact. It is not about you, and it's not about me. It is about his glory. It's about him having your whole heart. It's about us reaching lost people, living to expand his kingdom here on this earth with the moments that God has given us with this one and only life. My friend Jeff Christofferson writes in his book, Kingdom Matrix, at any given moment, I'm either expanding the kingdom of God or the dominion of darkness, period. There is no third option. Every time that we have planted a church here at Westridge Church. Every time that we've sent out staff members or we've sent out people, I've had to die to myself. A few years ago, we planted a, a church in Rockmart, Georgia, just right up the road, uh, Danny and Gracie Eccles, who have done a phenomenal job. And I remember the day that we brought uh, the, the, the crowd that was going to plant this church. Danny and, and Gracie were up here, and I looked across the stage. It was a stage full of people that they had recruited from our church, and I looked over, and the largest giver in our church was on the stage with Danny and Gracie. I had no idea he was leaving to go with them. Now, at that moment, I had a gut check. I'm serious. Because I'm looking at Danny going, you dog. When I say largest giver, number two wasn't even close. But I had to go back to that park bench in 2003 and go, you see, and God, where God said, are you serious about my glory? Are you serious about intimacy with, with me? Are you serious about my kingdom? Listen, think for a moment of how Jesus is called to die to self impacts you personally. When you serve in this church week in and week out, and I know for some of you it's tiring, you're dying to self. When you give sacrificially and generously and you give to this church or to to a nonprofit, you die to yourself when you're trying to expand the gospel. When you open up your home for a small group, you die to yourself. When your group decides to invite other people in or to turn yourself outward, you're dying to self. See, when we die to self, we set up ourselves to bear much fruit. We line ourselves up with God's kingdom instead of our own. We open the door up for God to do greater things in our lives. So as we move into our 19th year of being a church, I am asking God for greater things than ever before. We're still going to gather people on Sundays. When you look in scripture, you see Jesus attracting large large crowds of people. I love Sunday mornings because I love when we just can get together and worship and love on God together. I'm asking God to still grow our church. I, I pray for every time I get up here, even when I'm not up here, I'm praying for life change every Sunday morning but we're not going to gather people just to simply try to convert them and retain them. We're still going to be a sending church. We want people to come to Christ so that we can train them up, make disciples, empower them, and then send them out to plant churches, to go overseas to to foreign mission fields, but also to be on mission to reach the workplace where they are, to see their kids' ball field as their mission field, to reach their next-door neighbors, to reach their cul-de-sac. I'm asking God to give us greater success at reaching our community, our nation, our world than ever before. Let me just give you a great example of what it means to be on mission locally. This past Wednesday, I had an opportunity to speak to the Paulding County High School football team. This football team has been through a lot. They lost one of their players this past year to a, a traffic a tragedy, a death in a car accident. As I stood in front of these young men and their coaches, I I just realized God is working in the lives of these players and coaches in a powerful way. But while I was there, I found out that several of the men in this church are serving as mentors to several of the players on that team. They are living a life on mission. And that's a great example of what it means for Westridge Church to be a sending church. You've sent yourself out of this building into the lives of young men so that they can hear the gospel and so their lives can be changed. I'm so proud of these men. But we're also going to be faithful to make disciples. And I'm praying that God would lead every single one of you in this church to be in a small group. In August, uh, just last month, we had 350 brand new people jump into a small group. Biggest, uh, most, ever, m- most ever in our history but I'm praying that every small group will be effective at making disciples. The way we're gonna make disciples at Westridge is through small groups. If you wanna experience life change, an authentic community, get involved in a small group, and I'm praying that every small group would be on mission to impact our community for Christ. As we head into year 19, I want you to know what I'm praying for right now. I'm praying for Revival. I'm praying for revival for Westridge Church. I'm praying for revival for our community. I'm praying for revival for our nation and for our world. Now, I know for some of you, when you, when you hear the word revival, immediately you think of a tent, an outdoor tent. You think of a, a, a pastor who's preaching all over on the circuit. You, you think of a sign in front of a church where they're having a three-day revival. Or you think of even something crazier where people are coming forward at a revival and falling on the ground or barking like dogs. That's not what I think is going to happen here. Revival means awakening. It means stimulating the life, bring it to the surface again. It means renewal. God put this word on my heart back in May. And so I just started praying for revival and then asking the question, what would revival look like if it came to our church and our community? I feel like I caught a glimpse of it in June. I was speaking at our rush camp. And as I was Literally, I went and prayed behind the stage while the kids were worshiping. I laid down, face down in the ground, and we were on the third floor of the Hilton in Daytona Beach. The floor was shaking. I'm thinking, okay, I'm not sure if we're going to end up at the bottom floor or we're going to stay on the third. But these kids are jumping there, worshiping their hearts out like I had never heard before. And I walked away and I went, God, I think you're going to do something miraculous. And I couldn't get this word revival off my heart. Then I went to Boston at the end of July with some of our pastors. And I went on a tour of the religious history of that city, which is a religious history of the tour of our nation. And I toured, I toured Harvard, which actually started in 1658 as a school to train ministers. I stood in the Boston Commons Park where George Whitfield from England preached in 1740 to start off the beginning of the Great Awakening, in, especially in our American colonies at the time. I want you to know we just made a five-year commitment to help plant churches in the city of Boston and to send our missions teams up there so that we can help these churches to get started. Boston right now is the third most unchurched major city in the country. We're partnering with a church right now that's actually starting this morning. Chris and Jenny Causey and their little girl are starting Encounter Church in a little community about 20 miles south of downtown Boston called Dedham. I mean, they are doing a phenomenal job and we are partnering not only with the city of Boston and the initiative that's going on up there, but with that couple right there, investing in them financially, sending teams up there. Listen, here's what I know about revivals. They are rooted in prayer. They are rooted in repentance. They are rooted when, God, when we put God's glory and his kingdom before our own. They're, they're rooted in dying to self. And as, we stay, as we're here today celebrating 18 years of miracles, I'm asking God to do even greater things. And here's my prayer moving forward, Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, I have heard of your fame this morning, I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. I shared this prayer with our, with our staff, with our elders, with our Thursday morning men's prayer group. They have been praying with me since early August. Now, I don't, I don't know exactly what revival would look like if it came to Westridge and to Northwest Atlanta. Uh, as you've already heard, God has a tendency to mess up what I think something should look like. However, I do know this. Revival begins with an individual. It begins with individuals humbly on their knees, crying out to God to move, to expand his kingdom, to use us. Author Jack Taylor says the Holy Spirit is the power of revival. There is no revival without the free moving of the Spirit of God. The Spirit first begins to move within the heart of the individual, as he finds liberty in the individuals, he can then create the qualities which lead to real revival. It is natural then the most immediate and obvious of changes occur in the personal life. So Westridge Church, on this birthday anniversary Sunday, will you join me in praying for God to move in ways that we have never seen before? I'm asking that God would move in your life, that he would move in your family, that he would move in our church, that he would move in our community, that he would move move in our nation and in this world. Would you join me in praying, listen, in asking God to allow us to see greater things than we could have ever dreamed of before, greater things than we've already experienced. Will you join me in asking God to use us like never before to advance his kingdom? This morning we kick off a brand new series called Revive. Next week I'm going to be speaking on, on the issue of prayer. You cannot have revival without prayer. It just can't happen. You can't have revival without humility, without dying to self, without repentance. And so right now I just want to take a moment and I want to ask you to bow your head. Uh, In the first service, I was asking people if they'd come forward and pray. I didn't even get into the big part of the ask, and all of a sudden, this little girl on the front row got up, walked forward by herself, got on her knees, and people started flooding to the altar to join her. And I told that little girl, if God you can use, if He wants to use a seven, eight year old little girl to start a prayer movement in this church, then let it be so. Lord, as we celebrate 18 years, I just cannot thank you enough. What you have done is so much greater than anything we could have ever dreamed of. It's so much bigger. We we can't even, we could have never even thought of this. The path you put us on is so much different than what we thought, but so much greater. I can't thank you enough for letting me just be a, a part of this. On behalf of my family, on behalf of all of the families that are on our staff and our elders and, and the people that make up this church, we just say thank you. But Lord, we're praying that you will move. You will move like never before. And Lord, my prayer since May has been, will you let it begin in my heart? And Lord, I know that there's others in this room that have been praying the same thing. Lord, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want my family to love you more. I want my life to better reflect your glory and your kingdom. I want our church to have a greater presence in this community like never before. I want to, Lord, look out and see people of all races and backgrounds worshiping together. Father, I want to see men and women whose marriages are struggling. I want those marriages to be healed. I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, would you do that? Let us see it and we will give you glory for it. I want to see students come back to Christ who have walked away. I want to touch that 60% number. (laughs) To see people lord who have said no to god forever see authenticity and realness and say yes to you because of it lord may you pour your holy spirit on in this church and may you spark the beginning of something that we can't even put a name to. Lord I let it begin in my heart. Let it flow out into this congregation please. I don't know how else to ask for it. May it begin with us on our knees. May you do a mighty work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we worship? If you feel led to come and pray, get on your knees before the Lord.
1: Collectively we sing. Your love so deep is washing over me. Your face is all I seek. You are my end. all I seek. You are my everything. Jesus Christ, you are my one desire. Lord, in my own.